Uh, a covenant, as we've said before, is an agreement. It's an agreement between two people or two uh, parties, we could say. It's a promise. It's a contract. Uh, and it's a, a covenant is a, a contract between two people. In the case of our study, it is a covenant or covenants, we'll say, that are between God and man. God gave these covenants himself to mankind throughout history. Some of these are in the past. Some of these are going to be in the future. Some of these are in effect now. And some of these are still in effect and have their fulfillment in the future. As we'll see with what's going to take place with the nation of Israel. I'll try to close the lesson with some of that tonight if time permits me. Uh, but we talked before about God revealing himself. And that's the question. Did God reveal himself to his creation? And the answer is obviously yes. Over and over again we looked at nine separate ways just in the Bible that God has revealed himself to his creation. God has revealed himself over and over again. For example, we talked about the heavens declare the glory of God. That's one revelation of God to man. You ought to be able to look up at around us, around nature, and see the handiwork of God. We didn't just get here by chance or by coincidence or by just nothing creating everything. It was everything. That's God. He is all in all, creating everything that we see and even things we don't see. God made it. The Bible talks about the invisible things of him are clearly seen. Uh, and so God made not just the visible, but the invisible, not just the physical world that we all enjoy, but the spirit world that we can't see tonight. He made it all. And so everything came about as a result of God creating this world. And so we'll talk about evolution and creation, and all that, some other Bible study down the road. But God did reveal himself to his creation. Now, Having said that, there are certain things that you can't get just from studying creation. For example, you can't study animals and being a, be an evolutionist, I don't believe, because the more you study animals, the more you see a creator had to have designed those animals. And that's not just um, uh, massive animals. It's not just the elephant and the whale and things of that nature. It's also the tiny things. Like we talked about even little bees and little bugs and insects. In fact, the microscopic things of creation are testifying to God's act of creation, not just the things that we see with a telescope, it's the things we see with a microscope tell us about God and about who he is. That's part of the revelation of God. But now there are things about God you can't know just by looking at nature. You can find that God created nature, but you can't find certain things about God without special revelation. So I want you to look tonight in the book of Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, we find God giving a special revelation of himself to man. This is something you can't get by looking at the stars or looking at uh, an animal or something like that. This is something more significant than that. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 4. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 4. We get to Exodus instead of Genesis might help me a little bit tonight. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him, that's Moses, out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses already knew that much. He already knew that God was God, and, and, and I believe that. He, he knew that God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here's going to be a special revelation. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. 
Now in chapter 3, verse 13 and verse 14, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? I mean, that's the question. If God's going to reveal himself, yes, we can see God in his creation, but we need to see who God really is. That's what Moses is saying. We know that you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but what am I going to tell them who you are? And he said, I am that I am. And he said, Thus art thou saying to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Israel knew that God was God, but they did not know God by a particular name until God says, I am that I am. And when he made that statement, he's not just the God. That's how they knew him before this. He's the God, the God, the God. Now Moses can report, I know who the God is. He has a name, and his name is I Am. Exodus 6, if you look in Exodus 6 and verse 2. Exodus 6 and verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. So he's saying, I, I appeared unto them as God Almighty is the Lord. He said, but now I appeared unto they didn't know me by my name Jehovah was I not known to them and I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers we're going to get into that covenant in a study or two later but he's connecting the covenant with his name he's identifying himself personally with his people his covenant people and he's saying I am I am Jehovah he didn't give them his name but in verse 8, he said, I'll give you the name Jehovah, and I'll bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and I'll give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. That's his name. I am. Back in Exodus 3, in verse 13 through 15, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, shall say unto them, The God of thy fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me. And you know, everybody probably have heard the name Jehovah, uh, but it's dying down, unfortunately, in our churches and being replaced by the new name, which is Yahweh. Now, again, that's a whole other study. I'm not going to talk about all that tonight, but it goes back to the name of God, Jehovah. You've probably heard all of this before, but it's not a name that is pronounceable. It's only four, uh, uh, there's only four letters in the name. There's no vowels. And so in, in Hebrew, it's the letters Yod, uh, He, Vav, and He. But some of those letters can be pronounced separately by themselves. For example, Vav can be pronounced Vow instead of Vav, for example. Uh, but you only have a Yod, a, a He, a Vav, and a He. So Y-H-V-H would be about the closest equivalent. Well, how do you pronounce that? You can't pronounce it. So throughout history, the, the name Jehovah came about as the Yah was pronounced as a Jah sound. And so then they added those vowels to make it a pronounceable word. And so we've said Jehovah for thousands of years. Well, now, uh, and it's not a big deal. It's just, it is a deal. It's now they're saying, well, it's not Jah, it's Yah. And it's not the, it's Wah. And so now it's not Jehovah, it's Yahweh or Way. 
And so they're messing around with all this, and we don't know. We don't know. We can't pronounce the name of God. Only Moses knew that. And even the high priest supposedly only would pronounce or try to pronounce the name of God once a year on the Day of Atonement. Before that, they'll say Adonai or Elohim or, or, or they would say uh, Hashem. Sometimes you'll hear Jews today will we'll talk about God as Hashem. Uh, and so they'll, they'll substitute Jehovah for Hashem or Adonai or Elohim. They're all the name of God. But God said, I am Jehovah. It's a special revelation. And this information is given by God to a man, from God to Moses by that special revelation. So that revelations, we've talked about those nine revelations. You can't figure out some of these things just by looking at the moon, the stars, the planets, and trees, animals, computers, what have you. You can't figure out all of that. You don't know God's name till you know the God of creation and the God of the Bible, and you have a personal relationship with him. Then you can personally know who he is. He is the Lord. He is God. He is the I Am. So if God's going to reveal himself to mankind, how are we going to know it? Well, we could approach him mathematically. And by that I mean by comparisons, by looking at the statistics and numbers, which I'm not going to bore you with tonight. But let's do something that could probably cost me my life, but, uh, but I'm still going to do it tonight. If I took the Bible in one hand and the Koran in another hand, let's compare the two. Let's see who reveals. They both claim to know God or a God. Allah actually means, uh, uh, it, Allah doesn't mean Jehovah like we think of Jehovah. Allah, just, uh, Allah means the God. Allah has no name in Islam. They don't have a name like Jehovah. They just say Allah meaning the God. Well, which God is it? Well, if we make the comparison between the two, one, the Bible says God has a son. Allah in the Quran says no, he doesn't. God had no son. Well, one's correct and one isn't. Uh, one says that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and James and Paul and all of those told the truth that there was a Son of God, that He did walk this earth, He did live, He did die, He did rise again. The other one says, no, He didn't. God had no Son, so Jesus didn't rise again. He wasn't the Son of God. So he didn't live again. He didn't rise again. He wasn't crucified as the Son of God. They both claim a God, but they're not the same thing. Let me tell you what's going on in America, if you haven't figured it out, is the Antichrist is getting close to show up because we're, we've started to blend theologies and blend our views. And we're trying, as we even heard Michael Bryan talk about a little bit about it Sunday, trying to bring all of these different views under one heading, and you can't do it. Jesus is either the way or he's no way. So if we're going to look at the God of the Bible, we want to know who is the real God. Which is it? Is it the God of, is it the, God of uh, the Muslims? Is it the God of the Christians? What God is the God? Well, biblical prophecy really is the test. When you look at prophecy... God's word prophesies and never misses once ever and is the great proof of who God really is. And God himself says, if you want to know something about me, if you want to know who I am, if you want to know if I'm real or not, if I'm the God of gods and Lord of lords, he said, let me show you a test. Look in Isaiah chapter 41 tonight. 
Isaiah chapter 41 in verse number 21. This is a biblical test to see who is God because if God's going to give us covenants, we got to know who God is. We got to make sure we have the right God. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 21. This is God speaking. I love these passages in Isaiah because, in all honesty, God is being sarcastic. Now, I don't know uh, how much you spend, how much time you spend in the Bible, but the more you get in the Bible, the more you read, God has a sense of humor. And sometimes God's really sarcastic. In fact, we see it even in Jesus. We see in the life of Jesus. You know, everybody acts like he just never said anything funny or, or sarcastic. Oh, he, he even called people names. He looked at those Pharisees. He said, you snakes, you generation of vipers. He told Herod, he called Herod a fox. He said, you go tell that old fox this and that. Jesus had a sarcastic sense of humor as well. Look at Isaiah 41, 21. Here's God speaking. He's speaking and he says, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Verse 22, let them bring forth and show us what shall happen. Here's what God's saying. He said, all right, all you claiming to be gods out there, bring it forth. Let's see what you got. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. If you can prophesy, he said, then do it. Let them show the former things what they be that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. He said, if you're God, tell us about the past. We read about that in Job 38 and 39 when God speaks to Job out of the whirlwind and he said, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth where the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. And he talks about all of that. He put Job in his place and all those around him. He said, I was there, you weren't. That's what he's saying here. He said, show the former things if you can and show things that are for to come. That's prophecy. Verse 23, show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know ye are gods. Now, this again, this is God speaking. He said, you want to prove you're a God? Prophesy. That we may know you are gods, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, and here's where he gets sarcastic. He said, you're nothing. And your work of naught and abomination is he that chooseth you. He says, what a, what a joke. You think you're God? Prophesy. He said, the way... You can know I'm God as I'll prophesy. When I prophesy and when I speak, it's going to come to pass. Look in Isaiah 42, verse 8 and 9. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will not, not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you them. God said, here's what I do. I tell you things before they spring forth, before they even happen. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'll do it. And he did it all through the Word of God. That's part of his revelation to man. I mean, for example, there's 48 prophecies on the first coming of Jesus Christ that came to pass that were made hundreds of years, more than 400 and some years before Jesus even walked the earth. And every single one came to pass and not one missed. That's God. Isaiah 43. Look in Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 and verse number 10. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. 
You want to believe there's a God? Here's how to do it. And understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Which I'm going to jump the gun here. That proves the deity of Jesus Christ, because God said there can only be one Savior. He said, it's me. Well, if Jesus wasn't God, then Jesus lied. He didn't lie, because he's God. Look in verse Isaiah 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, these are all right here in Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. That sounds familiar. Remember that passage anywhere? Ain't that Jesus in Revelation? I'm the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call and shall declare it, that's prophecy, and shall set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming, that's prophecy, and shall come, let them show unto them, fear ye not, neither be afraid, have not I told thee from the time, and have declared it, ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God, I know not any. God said, there's no gods. I'm the only God that can tell the future. Now these guys like Notre Dame and guys like that, I mean, it's so, if you ever read that stuff, it is so sporadic, it is so nonspecific. I mean, fortune cookies do better than Notre Dame's. I mean, everybody gets, you know, upset about, what was it, Gene Dixon and Notre Dame's and all these different predictions, you know, and, and all this stuff, and, and it's, it's all generalities. I'm getting to that. It's not specific, but God's specific. Isaiah 46, verse 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? He said, put the gods up, put them like in a lineup. Let's compare one another. Remember the former things of old, I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure God says, I alone, there, you can't compare me to nobody. No one can do what I do. I'm going to reveal myself how I want to reveal myself. And he's done it repeatedly throughout history. Now, I know we've not talked about really a single covenant yet, but it's coming. We have talked a little bit about reality. and We've talked about science and the universe being here supernaturally we talked about that there if there is a god will he reveal himself to his creation and the answer obviously is yes he does it through special revelation job 11 verse 7 says this canst thou by searching find out god canst thou find out the almighty under perfection job said can you i mean let's put it in modern vernacular could you get on wikipedia and try to find god could you type in a search engine and find them? The answer is rhetorical. It's no. You can't by searching find out God. God will reveal himself to you. Had a man one time talk to me online. He was an atheist. He made fun of my beliefs in, in Christianity and Jesus. And I finally I thought, I'm not going to argue with him. If there's a God, blah, 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 all the same old stuff. And I said, here's what you can do. I said, I'm going to be praying for you on my end. I said, uh, I said, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Why don't you just get on your knees and try this? Just try it. If there's no God, what do you got to lose anyway? 
I said, get on your knees and say, God, if you're God, if there really is a God and you really exist, will you do something in my life to get my attention, to reveal something to me that would tell me, yes, I'm here and I am God? I said, would you do that? And he said, I'll do it. He said, in fact, I'll go do it right now. He said he went outside and he looked up and said, God, if you're God, then reveal yourself. And he said, I came back in and thought, well, he didn't reveal himself to me. So I'm lying to him, I guess. He said, but he reached in his pocket and found a $20 bill he didn't know was there. And he got real smart, Alec, and he said, looky there, I found $20 in my pocket. I guess God is real. But you know what? I really believe if a man was sincere... If he's genuine and not being smart aleck and sarcastic like this guy, but he would literally go up and say, God, I'm searching. I don't know, but I, I want to know. If you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? You know what? I believe God would do something. Now, I'm not telling you God's going to show up in his living room. I'm not going to tell you God's going to pull the roof off the house and, and blow a trumpet in his ear or something. But I know this. If I know the God of the Bible, God reveals himself to creation. But you can't do it by books you can't do it by education. You can't do it by science. You've got to do it by faith. And when you have faith in the Word of God, then God will specially reveal Himself to you. And He's done it over and over and over and over and over again. You can learn about the works of God by studying nature and the heavens, but to really understand the nature of God, you can only do that by special revelation. It's kind of like our kids. Our kids... Kids are not born knowing everything. Now, I know when they get a little older, they think they know everything. But so did we when we were their age, amen? All one person, amen, that. But we did. Believe it or not, we were all 18 at one time. We were all 16 at one time. And I can honestly say I didn't know at 20 what I knew at 30, and I didn't know at 30 what I knew at 40. And some of y'all can go a lot further than that. And so, how does your child survive? By special revelation. You've got to reveal certain things to your child. If you didn't reveal certain things to a child, they would die within two days being left alone. So you have to reveal certain things because you've got knowledge that they don't have. So you tell them, don't play in an outlet. It could hurt you. You tell them, don't go around fire. It can burn you. You tell them, don't jump in the water. When you can't swim, it'll drown you. All kinds of special revelations things that are good for you, things that aren't good for you, things that could kill you, things that could injure you, things that could harm you. That's being a parent. Well, God is our Father. As our Father, He knows things we don't know. And the greatest minds in history, the Einsteins and the Hawkings and, and all these people out there think they know something. They know nothing. They know nothing compared to the knowledge and wisdom of God. But here's what God did. When God chose to reveal himself to creation, he did so, as we talked about those other nine revelations, but in this age, he did it in a book. This is God's revelation. In fact, the last book of the Bible is called Revelations. He did it in a book. And this book contains God's revelation to mankind. And we've either got to look at this book as the word of God or the words of men, but it can't be really both. In a way it is, but in a way it's not. The Bible says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
The Bible says of itself, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It's either the word of God or it's not the word of God. If it is the word of God, it's a, it's a unique book that no mathematical formula could have ever come up with. The word of God was written over a period of several thousands of years by 40 plus different authors of all different walks of life and backgrounds, shepherds and kings. And, and I, I mean, you go down the list of those that, that were uh, writing the scripture from all over in three different continents coming together, compiling 66 separate books into one book called the Bible, and yet all of it fits like a hand in a glove, a unit that never contradicts or makes a mistake. There are things called apparent contradictions, and men spend their whole life trying to argue those things, but those things can be explained by careful research prayer and study of the scripture God's word stands sure sure <clears throat> somebody said it like this if I can remember I saved it let me see if I can bring it up so I can read it correctly this is this really astounded me I meant to print it out but I've got it right here this will really put things in perspective all right, what, what does, this says, what does Texas, is a picture of the flag of Texas, what does Texas have to do with Bible prophecy? Over and over again, God prophesied the rise and fall of nations. Many of his, two, well, 2,500 predictions were very specific. 2,000 have already come true out of 2,500. Jesus alone filled over 300 of those predictions, including being born of a virgin, and through the seed of Abraham, as well as Jesus having his hands pierced, something God of the Bible predicted even before the Romans invented crucifixion, which is something to think about. The odds of only eight specifically predicted events coming true, let alone 300, is exactly the same as this analogy. Let's say we covered all of Texas, three foot deep in silver dollars, We'll mark one with the red X and randomly mix it in somewhere across the entire state. Next, we blindfold a guy, have him choose a place to start, take him to wade through the coins, having only one blind pick to choose from. He must pick and must choose the coin with the red X on it. What were the chances of that happening? Mathematically, those are the exact odds of only eight prophecies coming true. Again, he actually fulfilled 300 that God gave us in advance. With that in mind, can you see the tragedy of keeping this information from God's people? I mean, by keeping prophecy from God's people, we are, we are, de we, we are depriving our church family, our church members, Christians, of the truths of Scripture because we're scared of something that God used to reveal himself to mankind. He used prophecy. Imagine three foot of silver coins across the entire state of Texas finding the one red coin. That's the same odds of just eight prophecies coming true. And yet that's just eight prophecies out of not just 300, 2,500 plus 
in the Bible and many that are yet to come to pass. The life of Joseph, for example, 52 ways the life of Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. He's more like a type of Jesus than any other person in the Old Testament. 52 ways. I mean, you go down the list and being sold by his brethren. I mean, you, all the way down. Imagine me standing up here tonight and going, you know what? Okay, on uh, February the 16th, 2034, there will be a man with blonde hair. He'll be five foot, eight inches tall. He'll be wearing brown shoes and a white jacket. And he's going to cross a busy intersection in downtown New York City. At that inter intersection, the light will go green and there will be a red car will come from this direction a blue car from this direction he'll barely make it he'll go inside the building inside the building that is next to him which is happens to be a white building he'll go inside he'll order a lunch this lunch will be can you imagine me making all that stuff up and then waiting and then when that day and that year comes around every single thing I said without a miss comes to pass if one thing would have varied, if I would have prophesied all of that and the guy showed up with a blue shirt instead of a red shirt or something, then you could say, ha, huh, false prophet. But not one prophecy in the Bible has failed to come to pass. And that's what the Bible does. Isaiah gives us God's test for revelation. That's his test for who he is, his ability to prophesy. The Bible says Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Guess where he was born? The Bible says that he would ride on a donkey. Guess what? He rode on a donkey. He'd be hung on a tree. He was hung on a tree. His hands and feet would be pierced. They were pierced. They'd part his garments. That was in the Psalms. I mean, way before Jesus was born, they prophesied that his garments would be, the, would be split up by casting lots, by gambling over his garments. Exactly what happened. That he would cry out, that he would thirst, that he would thirst, that they would spit in his face, they spat in his face, that he would be whipped, he was whipped, that his beard would be plucked from his face, and it was plucked from his face, that he would be turned over to the Gentiles, he was turned over to the Gentiles. Every single thing which means we got the right book. We got the right God. We got the right Savior. Genesis chapter 1. Look in Genesis chapter 1, because now we're making our way. God's revealed himself, and I believe he's done it in his word, and reveals himself in the Bible. It's not just a popular book. It's the word of God. It's not just a book of myths and legends and ideas and philosophies and religious practices it is the word of God in fact it is the living word of God in Genesis 1 26 God said let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so God created man in his own image the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat 
Now notice several things. Notice, first of all, in verse 26, and God said. This is God speaking. He's speaking into creation. He's speaking to his creation. And God said. We see it again in verse 28. And God said. We see it again in verse 29. And God said. We've got a book called the Bible that's made up of things God said. The words of God. Now I'll get to that later. But let us, he said, make man in our image. You know we find the Trinity right off the bat in Genesis 1. How did Moses know all of that? That's divine revelation. Moses is writing Genesis 1, and he said, and recording creation, let us make man in our image. That's plural. Well, there's one God. God is already beginning to reveal himself as a triune being. He's three in one and one in three. Three separate and yet one. And we see it in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man. Saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. God commanded. That's God speaking. Adam didn't have a written word. But he had a spoken word. And that was just as good. We've got the spoken word written down. So that we can hold it and read it. And we take in the word of God. We digest the word of God. The same way you digest food. But we do it spiritually not physically. When we digest the Word of God, you've got two gates of information. You've got eyes and ears. And all information we take in, I'm not talking about the other senses, but mainly, predominantly, we digest information through our eyes and through our ears. That's why in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus said, Blessed are they that readeth, that's our eyes, and heareth the words, that's the ears of this prophecy, and keepeth those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. That's how we take it in. There's a lot to be said about our eyes and how our eyes are a gate. And our ears are a gate. And our ears and our eyes take in the word of God. And somehow it is digested spiritually. That's why we're not to live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Our spirit, our soul needs what physical food cannot offer. I don't care how good the physical meal is. It doesn't feed your soul. Even if they call sometimes those meals soul food. It might come close. What is it? Campbell's chicken noodle soup is good for the soul. Is that what they say? Their slogan? But only the word of God can feed your soul. God said something to Adam. We're going to see that in the first covenant. It's called the Edenic covenant. And the Edenic covenant has to do obviously with Eden. God's going to make a promise in Eden and that covenant is going to be an unconditional covenant. He said something to Adam. He says something to Noah. We're going to see one of the covenant is called the Noahic covenant. We know that to be connected with the rainbow. But he makes a covenant. He spoke to Noah. We see he's going to make an Abrahamic covenant. He speaks to Abraham. And he tells Abraham something the UN doesn't want to believe or hear tonight. But it's still in the word of God. 
And that is that I am going to bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And God said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a piece of real estate that's going to be yours. And we're going to see that covenant. God spoke to Abraham. We see all through the Bible. He speaks to people. He spoke to Rebecca. He spoke to Laban. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to David. He spoke to Solomon. He spoke to Aaron. He's still speaking tonight, but he does it through the word of God. People say, well, God doesn't speak to me. Yes, he does. Prayer is us speaking to God, but the Bible is God speaking to us. Think about that tonight. When we pray, we're speaking to God. We're, we're in the throne room. We're still in the flesh, but we're in the throne room instantly. But when we read the word of God and see his revelations and his covenant and what he said to man then God is speaking to us. Job chapter 23, verse 3 says this, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, speaking of God, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with the arguments. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Wait a second, though. When Job's saying that, his commandments, the words of his mouth more than my necessary food, Job didn't have an Old Testament. He certainly didn't have a new one. Job lived hundreds of years before Moses was ever even born. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Job is the oldest book of the Bible as far as age goes. As far as order of the books, Genesis comes first, but the oldest book in our Bible is the book of Job. And Job is saying, I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. How in the world could Job say that when he had no scripture? He had no Old Testament. He had nothing. He had no Psalms. He had no prophets. There was no law to go to. How did he know all of that? Because God spoke to him. In fact, you read, as we said a moment ago, after Job is going like a tennis match back and forth between his three so-called friends, and then a fourth shows up. Some great friends, amen. He calls them physicians of no value. Miserable comforters are ye. God finally has enough and he speaks out and he's, he speaks to Job out of the whirlwind. He has something to say. And my, I tell you, I like the end of Job because God speaks directly to Job with Job's friends still listening in. And God tells Job, if your friends want to be saved, if they, want to, if, if they don't want my wrath upon them, you got to go pray for him. Job had to go pray for his miserable friends in order for God to forgive him or God was ready to take him out. Ain't that something? God spoke to him. Does God speak? Yes. Has he done it? Yes. But be careful with that because guess who else speaks? The devil. Guess who else has special revelations? The devil. And although it has nothing to do really with the covenants per se, the Antichrist is getting ready to show up. You know how he's going to deceive the world? By his revelations. He's going to show signs and wonders. The Bible says that he'll deceive even the very elect. I mean, the people that, that you'd never dream could be convinced are going to be convinced. They are going to believe this is it. This is him. This is God. This is the Messiah, the Christ. He's going to do signs and wonders, the Bible says, but it's lying wonders. He's a deceiver. So 
The more we get in the Word of God, the more we grow as Christians, then the more we begin to distinguish between God's voice and the devil's voice. And I say this with all humility and honesty. Sometimes God's voice and the devil's voice is hard to tell apart. By that I mean sometimes we don't know, is God telling us something or is the devil telling us something? Is this God leading me to do this or that or is that the devil leading me? It's a, it's a fine line. And you can't all, always figure that out apart from the word of God and prayer. In Job chapter 28, in verse 20, Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living, and kept closed from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, We have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof. He knoweth the place thereof. For he looketh at the end of the earth, and seeth under the whole heaven to make the weight for winds, and he weigheth the waters by measure. That's a, a powerful thought. Go to the beach, see those waves of the ocean. God measures them. He knows them all. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of thunder, then did he see it and declare it. Notice he said in 26, he made a decree. That is a word spoken. Verse 27, he declared it. Those are words spoken. He prepared it, yea, and searched it out. And unto man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And depart from evil is understanding. He declares. He says. He does. He speaks. Let there be, and there is. God reveals himself. 2 Peter 1, verse 17. You ought to mark this passage. Here's a great proof text for Scripture and certainly for prophecy. In 2 Peter 1, 17, For he received not from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. God speaking. Peter was there. He heard it. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Let me just stop and say this. Peter sang the voice that we heard. I was there. He said, I heard it. That's on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, but we've got a more sure word. He's talking about the scriptures. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn. That's the coming of Jesus Christ. For the day star, that's Jesus, arise in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Boy, that's a good passage. I hear people all the time, well, but your, your interpretation. What did Peter just say? No prophecy of the Scripture. You got a Bible in your hand, in your lap, is it the Scripture? It's not to be privately interpreted. The Bible interprets itself. There can't be three ways and four ways and five ways and six ways and 20 ways and 50 ways to interpret a, a passage. It, it says what it says or it doesn't say what it says. It means what it means or it doesn't mean what it means. And by that, I know some of y'all are looking a little odd at me, but I'm telling you, God can't reveal one passage to you means one thing and reveal it to somebody else meaning something totally opposite and they both be right. God has, His word is sure. He's not the author of confusion. No prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So it's not just another book. It's not just a book of philosophy. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's inspiration. All scriptures are given by inspiration. God breathed. God breathed to them. They wrote what God told them to write. 
I've had people in churches before. I've, I've showed them a passage, and they'll say, well, that was Paul's opinion. I'm not kidding. I, I've turned to, and I've read something, and they'll say, oh, well, well, that was just how Peter saw it. You think God would have taken Peter's opinion or Paul's opinion and cared five cents for their opinion to put it in his holy word? Either it's the word of God or it isn't. And if it's the word of God, it doesn't matter if it's Peter, Paul, or James, or John, or whoever it is. Whoever wrote it, wrote it under the inspiration of the word of God. Revelation chapter 1, I'm just about through here. The Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. It's getting ready, folks. And he sent and signified by his angel under his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw, Blessed is he that, hear, that heareth, uh, readeth, and they that heareth the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. He said, Blessed are they that read. Blessed are they that hear the word. God reveals himself to his word. People out there thinking God's just going to show up in a field, and God's going to you know, open up the heavens and call their name out, or shine some bright light in the middle of the night. God reveals through his word. In fact, that Bible is a piece of heaven that God lets us own down here on this earth. How do I know that? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation even forever. God gave us a piece of heaven. It's his love letter to man. It's his revelation to all of us tonight. So if God's going to reveal himself to us, how is he going to do it? Well, I want to show you these places. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2 and uh, then John chapter 4. <clears throat> Jonah chapter 2 in verse number 9. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is now the praying prophet. Before that, he's the prodigal prophet. He's running from God. Now he's the praying prophet. He's soon to be in chapter 3, the preaching prophet. Chapter 4, he'll be the pouting prophet. But as the praying prophet, there in the belly of, of the well, he cries out and says in verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Right? Salvation, he says, is of the Lord. Now keep that in mind. Salvation is of the Lord. Now look in John chapter 4 in verse 22. John chapter 4, Jonah says salvation is of the Lord. In John chapter 4 verse 22, Ye worship, Jesus says, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the who? The Jews. Jonah says salvation's of the Lord. Jesus said it's of the Jews. Now, one more place. Look in Romans. All of these three passages fit together. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, and what profit is there of circumcision? Much ever way, chiefly because that unto them, the Jews, were committed the oracles of God. That's the word of God. 
For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible says salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Jews. And God committed the oracles of God to the Jews. Here's the problem. God gave his word to the most unlikely of people, the Jews. And for Gentiles, we've got to humble ourselves and accept the word of God that was given by God. Salvation is of the Lord, but it came through the Jews. They had the oracles of God. Jesus was a Jew. He was of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of David as a man. I saw an article yesterday. They're arguing over whether Jesus was black or white. What a stupid thing to argue about. Was Jesus black or white? He wasn't either. He was a Jew. He was a Jew born to a Jewish maiden. He was born in Bethlehem. He wasn't born in Atlanta. He wasn't born in New York. He wasn't born in Kenya. He was born in Bethlehem. And God said, I'm going to give the Jews my word. And for us to listen to the voice of God, we've got to do something that goes against our nature. We've got to humble ourselves and listen to the Jews and what the Jews have to say. And what you see going on in the world tonight, the reason it's going on is because the world doesn't believe that. The nations don't believe that. And they're not about to humble themselves before Israel or before the Jews or anybody else. And I want to close with one passage. Look at Numbers chapter 23. And I promise you all of this leads us up to the covenants. As we get into the Edenic covenant and then the Adamic covenant and then the Noahic covenant. And we'll go from there. Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23 <clears throat> is uh, one of the great prophecies in the Old Testament. But also a great proof text when it comes to the word of God. In fact, every scripture in the Bible, everyone, Old Testament, New, doesn't matter where it is, every promise, every scripture can be measured directly by this one verse. Every verse in the Bible can be claimed by Numbers 23, verse 19. So when you start doubting the Word of God, come to Numbers 23, 19. The Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? You know that great promise that God's not like you and I. Meaning that when he makes a covenant, he can't go back on his covenant. When God gave us his word, he can't go back on his word. One of the signs of the last days in Timothy is there'll be truce breakers. Lovers of themselves, heady, high mind, all the... It says truce breaker. The truce breaker is somebody that says, I'll do something and goes against it. Politicians are notorious for it. Uh, by the way, the Antichrist will be a truce breaker. Three times in Daniel, he makes a peace treaty with Israel and goes against it. He's a truce breaker. That's a sign of the last days. But God's not that way. When God says something... God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? The answer is yes, God will make it good. No, God is not a, like us, like a man. Yes, Jesus became a man, but he's still God. And when God gave us a covenant, when God gave us a promise, when God gave us a, a, a contract, 
he will keep his end of the deal. And even the covenants that have not been fulfilled, they have future fulfillment. They're getting ready to be fulfilled. We see it all around us in the world. In fact, I'll close with this in Numbers chapter 23. Look in verse 6. <clears throat> and returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and the princes of Moab. This is Balaam. This is a... Balaam is being paid to curse Israel and didn't work in his favor verse 7 he took up this parable and said Balak the king of Moab hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east saying come curse me Jacob that's Israel and come defy Israel how shall I curse whom God hath not cursed there's a good message for the UN tonight there's a good message for the White House tonight or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. There's a great prophecy in this verse. Israel is going to have to dwell alone before it's all said and done. You know what's going on in Israel tonight? They're being isolated. Now, I know there's been a lot of nations that have hoisted their flags in support of Israel. But I saw even Biden today. Nobody wants innocent people to die and all that. Don't, don't think that that's what I'm talking about. I'm not cheering rockets destroying places, uh, you know, in Gaza and things like that. And, and innocent lives being lost. But I, I'm simply saying this. I saw where uh, the president came out today and, uh, and said he's calling for Benjamin Netanyahu to cease fire immediately today. And Benjamin said, thanks, but I'll do what I want to do. Good for him. Good for him. He should. But the Bible says the nation of Israel will dwell alone and will not be reckoned among the nations. God singled out a Jew, Abraham. He made him a Jew through circumcision and his descendants and he singled out Israel as his chosen people. They're still his covenant people. God still has a promise to Israel. And the worst, unfortunately for them, is yet ahead. And they're going to be alone. And they're not going to be a part of the nations. The nations are going to turn on them. And we might be the generation seeing that come to pass with what's going on over there right now. And so the point is, if you aren't ready, I'd get ready tonight. Jesus could come back at any moment. And uh, I'm thankful that God has revealed himself, and he did it in his word. And you can trust when you're reading this book that it is not just the words of men, it's the word of God. His revelation from him, from God to man. And so that brings us to these covenants, because it's God's word contained in God's word. The covenants of God. Having said that tonight, is there any special prayer request before we close out in prayer? I know we mentioned... Uh, Miss Ellen, she had a pacemaker put in. She's up in Pineville. I spoke to her.